0: Labour is calling for a migration increase. Let's have a look. Hello everyone, Florian Heiser here and welcome to another episode of Heiser Says. I have my stein of coffee and I thought we'd have a look at this article that was sent to me by a viewer from The Age. It's about Labour MPs calling for a migration increase into Australia. They want massive partner visa increases. Now, if you can't tell... I'm a first-generation Australian. My father immigrated here from, well, East Germany. He got over into West Germany with his first wife and, and family, and he applied for, what was it, Australia, South Africa, Argentina, and US. Australia was the first to take him. He had skills working and drafting on nuclear power plants and precast concrete. So he took a ship over to Australia... This is where you could choose between a flight and a ship because he needed to learn English. So he learned it by reading the paper. When he arrived here, he got off the boat and started looking for work. But everything was closed because it was holiday season. He ended up living in Melbourne, got a job for the Concrete Housing Commission, worked there for many years. That that, uh, marriage didn't work out. He went back to Austria, got himself a younger wife, and then I appeared. So, you know, immigration... I wouldn't be in Australia if it weren't for a migration. You know, my mother wouldn't be here in Australia if it weren't for it. And Germans traditionally are some of the largest minorities in countries around the world, particularly in America. They're the largest minority over there. And their culture integrates very well. But see, this is the thing. This is the thing when we talk about migration. When you're integrating, you know, let's say German culture with English culture, the differences are not that big a deal. I know they like to play it up, but really there's not that big a difference. The cultural differences are pretty small, except, you know, beer's better in Germany. But that's just complete bias. So nevertheless, now we have Labour calling for massive increases to migration in hopes of stimulating the economy. Now this, I'd say this is a false, false argument. It's like the broken window fallacy. What they're doing is they're hoping bringing more and more people in will, con- you know, will lift up the economy, will increase demand for housing, will increase demand for this. Honestly, with the, when people migrate over to another country, it's pretty much neutral. Slight positivity to them coming into another civilization with increased productive capacity, but it's pretty much neutral. You don't want to build your growth, your economic growth, on simply bringing people into the country. You want to have a more complex and more advanced economy. You want to have increased manufacturing capacity. The problem Australia's had is our GDP has grown, but on a per capita basis, that growth is trending down. So that's the thing. It's it's a fool's game, putting all your hope in this one basket. But I wouldn't be surprised that politicians don't appreciate that. They just want to bring more and more people over because they want the short term boost from that hit to the economy. But we need to start thinking longer term. I mean, Australia isn't even a weird replacement birth rate. Without immigration, we wouldn't be. A lot of European countries aren't. So, a Labour MP is called on the government to issue tens of thousands more spouse and partner visas as a way of kick-starting permanent migration and economic growth after the pandemic. See, so here's the thing. He's hoping it will kick economic growth. Well, it won't, really. It won't. And one of the issues is, historically, any economic studies on immigration have been with, let's say, quite compatible cultural groups. So the integration time frame and the ability for those people to become adapted to the new culture would have been a lot faster than you're having with non-compatible cultural groups or cultural groups which has significant differences and that doesn't seem to be taken account for in any of the economic modeling. Definitely will be something to be interested in. I know there was a recent study that was come out by some leftist professors in the United States that's saying just you know one person moving into a suburb from a new culture disrupted everyone in there and then people started moving away. He couldn't believe his data. It's funny, and the leftists were usually the most, um, most, let's say, picky with regards to who they'd break bread with. The comments from backbrancher Julian Hill, who sits on the Parliament's Joint Standing Committee on Migration, comes amid fierce debate within the federal opposition over shadow Home Affairs Minister Christina Kennelly's plea to put Australian workers first through an overhaul of the migration program post-pandemic. In a piece for the Sunday Herald, or sorry, the Sunday Age and the Sun Herald earlier this month, Senator Kenley warned Australia's reliance on migration for economic growth has at times been a lazy approach. See, that's the thing, it's not really economic growth, guys. Economic growth has to be the GDP goes up per person. Per person. We're here bringing more people in, the GDP goes up, but they're not counting it per person, it hasn't gone up. So it's not. It's, it's, not, it's not the same as you think. It's a tiny fraction. We need to look at being more innovative in our civilization with the way that we grow our civilization. I, I'm seriously... If, okay, if we want to bring in migration, don't just do partner visas. Let's landstead some of the middle of Australia and try and get some new cities in there and say, come one, come all, and get some land in the middle of the country. Yeah. Maybe that would be a bit too, too exciting Maybe there'd be some opportunity there. Maybe it's all tied up by government or special interest groups. Mr. Hill said that far from cutting the flow of permanent migrants, Australia will continue to need permanent migrants to build a life here, helping to boost demand and pay down Australia's post-pandemic debt, as well as slow down the aging of the population. Oh, well, we're in nowhere near (laughs) as... We're not as bad a state as some European countries or Japanese countries or Japan. People aren't having enough kids guys that's the problem that's the problem that's a whole other a whole other issue there a good way of kickstarting permanent migration in the wake of the pandemic could be for the government to clear the outrageous blockage of spouse and partner visa applications he said thousands of Australians who've fallen in love are now stuck overseas waiting for a visa to be issued for their partner and the queues keep on growing these people already have connections here and want to build a new life here they're ready to make Australia their home Just under 40,000 past partner visas were granted in 1819, representing the vast majority of visas issued under the family stream of permanent migrants. About 90,000 people are in the queue. Earlier in the year, Mr. Hill accused the government of applying applying a harsh and cruel limit on the number of places in order to meet its target of reducing the annual migration intake to 160,000. That cut was a sham, he said. Because in most cases, people involved were already living in Australia on bridging visas. Department statistics for partner visas granted last year show that 20,000 successful applicants were already in Australia, while 19,000 were based overseas. I mean, he's got a point there. He's got a point. If someone's already living over here and already partaking in the economy, I mean, it's... Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Hill said his proposal was not in conflict with Senator Kennelly's call for Australian migration program to shift away from its reliance on temporary workers. Well, yeah, that, that. Here's the thing. Like, you've got the fruit picking industry, and they wanted to introduce a minimum wage and all these time requirements on it. Where you've got people flying over from East Timor, working for a season, flying back with good money. With good money that can pay for a year of schooling, or can pay for an extension to the house. How many people do you think are going to go to rural to pick food under those conditions, living like that, when they can just have slightly more comfortable sitting on the coast, not doing anything? Here's the thing. It's not radical to say that Australia's migration program must always be in our national interests and calibrated accordingly, he said. Christina was talking about the composition of the migration program, particularly the proven strengths of permanent migration and the idea that Australia should offer immigrants a new permanent home. I mean, one thing for the temporary workers, one advantage of it is, one advantage of it is, it's much better than foreign aid. So say you've got people coming from East Timor. We've got a, a developing country right on Australia's doorsteps. You want to minimize you want to minimize potential for social issues, political unrest there. You want the Human Development Index to grow. Now, you can do whatever he lefty is saying, just give them social aid, throw money, money, money away. Or you can bring them in as temporary workers and give them the opportunity to work and upskill and take those skills back and build up that nation. Then you have a potential trading partner with Australia on a more equal footing. What do you think, guys? What do you think? It's never as simple as, as it's put forward. It's always quite a complex issue. I think we need to slow down, particularly, or tie it, hard tie it to unemployment, but then they'll just manipulate unemployment. I think people need to realize it's not just instant economic growth. It isn't just economic growth. It's not, not the panacea that cures all. Because what they're going to do is they're just going to push for, for increased population growth through migration. When the people will get here, the quality of life may be worse than where it was if they've come from other countries because cost of living is so high, and they may not have a job. You know, you may have scientists coming over driving Uber. I've spoken to people like that because they couldn't get work. You know, and that's demoralising too. Regional Australia especially needs people who will settle down, buy houses, send their kids to school, and become active community members. Another Labour MP, former economist Andrew Lee, emphasised migration was vital for the revival of Australia's universities, which have been sucker-punched by the pandemic. Why? Why do we care? They've got a lot of fat. Let them cut. Well, actually, no, you want to keep the fat. They've got a lot of useless carbs attached on the outside. Let them push that off the table. If we want a stronger, hell, higher education sector, a strong immigration program is essential, he said. Turning off the migration tap is not just disastrous for the finances of universities, but also for their academic mission. We need to be open to migration. Their academic mission? They're just profit-making centres. I've, I'm, yeah, they're they're just their businesses. I mean, come on. Labour's political rivals used last week's parliamentary session to weigh in on Senator Kennelly's contributions. With the Liberal MP and Migration Committee Chair Julian Lesser Dubbing the opinion piece "injudicious" and "cheap politics," while one la- nation leader Pauline Hanson lavished it with praise. Senator Kennelly reiterated her calls for debate about the composition of the migration program, but said Australia was built on migration and the most successful multicultural country in the world. There are not; these are not sentiments you're going to hear from Pauline Hanson. She said, told news.com.au. Well, okay, so she was a bit bit iffy at Hanson, which is understandable. She doesn't want a brand associated with one nation. But the arguments that we're a successful multicultural country. Are we? Has one ever existed in history? Australia is only 200 years old. The cultural composition of the country has changed radically in the last 50 years. It's changing even more now. Can multicultural countries succeed? Or have all the historical precedents that are people putting forward Either very young, very young, so haven't, haven't even lasted a lot, long enough to be considered an empire, or historically they've all fallen apart. I would argue culture is just another tool. So an evolutionary response to the environment that changes and adapts, cultures merge together and change. And you have to allow cultures to merge together or change, which multicultural advocates don't don't they want to keep you know one group separate from another we've even got i mean here today 21st century there's race segregation at our universities and computer labs disgusting utterly disgusting the people just don't understand how racist they really are to be honest it's it's kind of it really disgusts me i would say you want to have a country with a unique culture and it becomes an amalgamation of all of the different cultures that come together. You need to allow that to happen and not to be afraid of it to happen. Hopefully, you'll get the best bits of all cultures. But you need to be able to publicly criticize aspects of cultures that are coming here that are, well, you don't agree with and are inappropriate or aren't compatible. When you take away that freedom, then the mixing pot and evolution ends and you get isolation, separation, and segregation. Where do you think Australia's heading, particularly with all of our laws? As always, guys, an interesting article, an interesting take. I don't think this is going to be the solution that everyone seems to hope it will be. I think we need to slow down and consider the real implications and be a little bit more strategic with how we're doing it. As always, please let me know your thoughts and opinions in the comments below like, share, and subscribe to the channel. If you're a fan and you want to support us, there are a few ways you can. You can join us on YouTube or Patreon. You can use our affiliate links at Amazon or eBay or Independent Reserve and KuCoin. You can support us via buying our merch from Heiser Says, Gold Pass from the Perth Mint, or from PayPal. Take care, guys. I'll see you next time.